Olá, bem-vindas e bem-vindos. Um bom dia a todos. Eu sou Denise Barbosa e estamos aqui mais uma vez ao vivo do estúdio da McKinsey em São Paulo. McKinsey Talks já se consolidou como um espaço de encontro para conversas relevantes para a nossa agenda de negócios com as principais cabeças sobre os temas no mundo todo. Então, o tema de hoje é Gigantes Podem Dançar, os desafios e benefícios da transformação ágil em empresas business to business. E a sessão de hoje vai ser em inglês. Então, já vou começar a apresentar aqui os nossos convidados. Today, we are hosting Ian Kavanagh, Senior Vice President of Transformation at BP. Good morning, Ian. Good morning, how are you? Good, thank you. And you? Very good, thank you. We have also Christopher Hanscom, partner at McKinsey in London. Currently, he leads McKinsey work on organization in oil and gas, including agile operation models, merger management, transformational change, and human capital. Morning, Christopher. Morning. And here by my side, Andre Andreazzi, digital expert associate partner of McKinsey based in Sao Paulo office and leader of the agile Practice of for Latin America. Bom dia, André. Bom dia, Denise. Vale lembrar você de casa que vocês podem mandar perguntas a qualquer momento durante toda a sessão, clicando no botão que fica acima da janela do vídeo. Por favor, participem. A participação de vocês é fundamental. Fundamental. As I said, today's session will be in English. André, Christopher and Ian, let's get started. Hello, good morning, everyone. Uh, I'd like to start this conversation by saying that agility is not only for software industries at all. Uh, we're not talking about Google or Spotify here, but really how agile and uh, this enterprise agility concept can bring a lot of values for business-to-business -business organizations. And, and here you can see a recent research from the, the McKinsey organization uh, practice that can see clearly that a lot of players are starting to explore in Agile in the way of working, but in these small pilots inside the organization, maybe IT, maybe maintenance, maybe tech, a digital area. But some of them are already going through this and they are like past the prototype, past the scaling up, and some of them, very few of them, are going on new normal on Agile. Agile is the way they do uh, the normal work on them. And what the organizations are really doing is like they're reconfiguring their own uh, parts of the, of the organization that are normally divided in multiple silos, like maybe engineering, maybe maintenance, maybe others, right? There are specialities that normally go through handoffs between them in order to make the work done. And they reconfigure that, session, that, that way of working into an organization that are hundreds of cells. They are small teams with all the skills they need in order to make the, the, the work done. And this work is aligned between all of them every quarter, so everyone gets clarity about what is the objective, how, this, how, do I can, how can I achieve this objective as one team, and we have all the people we need to do this. So these organizations are reconfiguring themselves every three months in order to make sure they are aligned and, uh, and centering the client. And now I'd like to invite Christopher here to talk about. Thank you. Um, and so to the most important point, the, the impact of agility. And our data shows that agile organizations outperform their traditional counterparts across four dimensions. On employee engagement, employees who have clear objectives are empowered to improve their own work and are clearly focused on their customers are more engaged. 
And we typically see 20 to 30 point improvement in employee engagement scores, which then naturally drives to improve operational performance in terms of speed, target achievement and predictability. Agile organizations do this by creating visibility on both expectations and real-time performance, and by fully dedicating employees to tasks. Improvements of 30 to up to even 50% are not uncommon here. And then customer satisfaction is also seen to improve, often by 10 to 30 points as well. Agile organizations are customer-centric, better enabling them to deliver superior end-to-end -end customer journeys and to capture growth opportunities. All taken together, this often leads to an increase of 20 to 30% in overall financial performance. So today we're delighted to hear about one company, BP, and their journey to capture some of these benefits. I'm sure most people watching will have heard of BP. The company has operations across, uh, across the world in Europe, Australasia, Asia, Africa, North and South America, including here in Brazil. And historically known as one of the oil and gas super majors, BP has recently set a new purpose to reimagine energy for people and the planet with the ambition to become a net zero company by 2050 or sooner and to help the world to get to net zero carbon emissions. We're delighted today to welcome Ian to speak and tell us a bit about their experiences with Denise, back to you. So let's bring him to the conversation. Ian, can you tell us, please, why did you start on the Agile journey? Yeah, that's a great question. So probably if I go back just over four years to late 2016, we had a senior leadership team meeting or was then our upstream organization. Um, and we talked about the necessity for a broader transformation of our business model. And we had several reasons to believe that was necessary, but you know, five of those beliefs, which I think have held true. One was around oil and gas supply and whether it was US shale industry or other sources, we knew that our industry was becoming more competitive. We knew a margin mindset that say the refinery or downstream parts of our business were very strong at, but the upstream maybe not as much needed to become more the norm for us. We had a belief around carbon and environmental agenda that we knew even back then would shape our industry somehow. And as Christopher has said, it's led to a reimagining and repurposing of our company. We also knew that digital, of which we believed we had a strong positioning at the time, would become a source of competitive advantage and hence launched our ambition around becoming a digital energy company or at that time, oil and gas company. We also knew our stakeholder expectations, be it host governments, be it investors, would change. And we looked internal and looked at the environment we were creating for our teams to succeed and in the pace and the extent of change we saw happening in the future. And knew if we didn't change, we wouldn't create the right environment to unlock that potential, to either retain or attract the caliber of people we would need to be competitive in the future. So we had five beliefs. I'm sure every company has similar ones for their sector, but they created a necessity for us to change. And then we set some ambitious goals around uh, our transformation agenda in the matter of safety and environment. And that has and always will be first on our list when we talk about ambitions and goals. We talked about performance goals. So um, cash delivery, how do we deliver over and above uh, our planned performance? 
we also talked about something we call feel, or most people would talk about employee experiences, Christopher's reference. They were all outcomes, uh, they were all required. We knew if we delivered performance and changed employee experience and didn't improve safety, that would be unacceptable. We knew if we improved safety and performance but didn't focus on employee experience, it wouldn't either be achieved or be sustainable. So all three goals were interlinked for us. And from that, we framed a transformation agenda some four years ago. And at the time, we framed it through three lenses of digital, of mindset, of which you can read leadership and culture, and agility. And we probably kicked them off in that order. And I was reflecting why, and I imagine it's in an order we were most comfortable with. So we started with digital, where we'd already made strong progress, and we put even more emphasis, focus, resources into digital. We then embarked on a mindset or a leadership agenda, which I'll come to later probably, um, which was a brilliant way to actually engage our leadership in the forward challenges. And then we started to get more into an agility space. Um, so all three were important. Again, just like the outcomes, we needed all three, but they had three lenses for us, digital mindset and agility. But for you, what does BP mean when we talk about agility? Well, as I'm sure uh, Christopher will tell you, you get a million different answers to this question. Um, so let me try and express mine in terms of what we were trying to achieve. Uh, maybe a way to think about this, we were trying to address pain points within the organization. And there were things like prioritization, so how well we truly prioritized our activity and truly deployed resources to those prioritized activities. Uh, cycle times for things like decision making and moving through stage gates, we knew could and needed to be quicker. We knew the organization wanted to feel in reality and perception more empowerment. So we, know, we knew there were pain points that we wanted to address. We also know, as many will know, in a big company, getting that business connectivity to outcomes, to missions, being able to go home at the end of a week or a day and knowing what you contributed to the bottom line, to performance, can be quite a challenge. So actually agility brought us that, it brought us that connectivity. It also allowed us to really focus on creating small mission-based teams, reducing handovers, having all the resources required to complete a product, whatever that product was. Uh, and it also allowed us to access efficiency. We have certainly seen in the work we've done so far that our teams set up in this manner, manner along with digital, et cetera, become more productive than those that are not. I think importantly, as well as addressing pain points, we wanted agility to reinforce strengths. We wanted to reinforce strengths that as an energy business were deeply important to us. And whether that was our management systems, our standards, our focus on quality, the professionalism of the engineers and scientists and analysts that we built so worked so hard to build over the last few years and around risk management. So it wasn't just about Agility can address your pain points to us. It had to also readdress, readdress or address the strengths that we had worked so hard to build. Um, so yeah, if you ask me, agility is it a toolkit, a structure and a mindset, all of those. Uh, but for me, it's actually about the outcome. And the best way, and again, I'll no doubt come back to this, the best way to think about this, if you really want to understand agility, go visit a team. Go visit a team where you've invested in setting them up in this way. 
and you'll see the results, you'll see the engagement, and you'll just feel the buzz of an organization. And that, for me, is what agility is really about. And can you tell us a bit more uh, your journey to get there? That's another good question. So I'd say we're definitely still on it. So uh, I could say it started uh, four years ago with that meeting, but actually within BP, like many companies, we've had a lean, continuous improvement agenda running for many, many years. And actually, I think that is a real strength to start an agility agenda from. Um, many will know more about this than myself, but it's built on very, very sim similar principles. Uh, and actually, we've found over time that taking the best of Agile and the best of Lean is a bit of the secret sauce that's allowed us to achieve uh, some of the results we've seen already. But we did start with a toolkit when we started on an agility journey, whether that was Kanban, whether it was daily huddles and stand-ups, uh, we deployed them across the company. On the more complex problems, uh, using scrum techniques, for instance, uh, in one of our regions, we trained and supported four teams at the time, so this would be back in 2017, four teams at the time to tackle some really complex problems that we were struggling to make breakthroughs on. Whether that was planning of new drilling opportunities, some new capital investments, uh, and also some small brownfield project delivery, or it was logistics around the, the most optimal way to have 10 supply vessels service eight platforms offshore. So we we tested, we piloted whether this technique would lead to breakthroughs in, in those problems. And, you know, it did. We saw improvements in cycle time. Um, on average, 40 to 50% improvement in cycle times over more traditional waterfall type techniques we've used. Um, we absolutely kept the focus on safety and quality as we went through that program. And I'd say without doubt, the employee experience started to feel better. But employee experience is not a quick win. Employee experience is a much longer journey, but we started to see improvements in employee experience. So we're back in 2017 now. Uh, we decided to scale that across uh, the company, across the upstream part of BP. And I think the phrase we've used before, and it's, I think it's a great description, is it went viral. So the pull from the organization was quite incredible, well beyond what we had imagined to begin with. And after a couple of years, I think we trained over 4,000 people in various different techniques um, because of what they had seen as the benefits uh, to both the strengths we were trying to reinforce and the pain points we were trying to uh, address. I think importantly, in parallel, we ran what was probably our biggest leadership development program um, within the upstream in over a decade. So as well as toolkit, we had a big program running, a development program for many of our leaders, um, which not only supported agility, but actually going and engaging with teams that were practicing in this way was a great way for leaders to actually practice. The, the leadership and culture um, we were going through on the program. We also visited others. So um, I think it's fair to say uh, the energy sector and maybe particularly the upstream sector has had a bit of a, a reputation for being quite internally focused. And one of the things we've tried to do throughout our transformation is look beyond our immediate sector. So we went out and we visited other companies, visited other teams. Uh, it included visiting banks to see how they had leveraged uh, 
organizing for agility. So we had the toolkit, we had the, the mindset, the behaviors. We then piloted uh, what we termed organizing for agility. And we stood up a unit, an organization uh, with a mission around production support and delivery in one of our uh, global operations. About 70, 75 people to begin with. And we also then set off some other small scale pilots in other parts of the company. And actually, again, we saw great successes from that. Um, there were the organization, the front end loading, the ongoing coaching that went into those. I probably can't overemphasize enough. There's a lot of systematic rigor put in. Um, but the confidence we've seen in that and other areas have allowed us now to really up our ambition across BP. And in our area or my area of the business alone, we'll go from 70 people to almost 100 times that over the next year, year and a half, as we absolutely look at organizing for agility at scale. But I'll go back to something I said earlier, if I can. It's not, agility for us was not a standalone agenda item. It was part of a broader transformation. It's part of our repurposing of the company. It's part of our new structure. It's part of an increased centralization agenda. So my, one of my pieces of advice would be not to think of agility as a bolt-on or an outcome and track its value separately, it would be to truly incorporate agility as a way of achieving your transformation ambitions. So I think that's our journey so far. Uh, not sure when it started, four years ago maybe, but probably longer. I don't know where we are on it, but we're at an exciting point with many years to go. Um, yeah, I'd like to, to, uh, to make that clear. I mean, this is this this journey that Ian is describing is very typical, right? I mean, most of the organizations uh, want to pilot first, want to understand how it behaves inside the organization, how it affects your people, security, safety is really really a key item here in this in these industries. So it is very very normal to see like people piloting it before before they go and start evolving that. And actually, in the region, we have uh, one, uh, one of the clients that I have the privilege to be part of the, the team there. Uh, there we, they have started this pilot in maintenance, in digital also. And now they are considering what's the next step going further on the scale up. So it's really amazing. And Ian, what did you spend most time on when designing your model? Um, I think maybe uh, going back to the point I made earlier, it, it was, we very quickly understood the benefits that agility could bring. We spent most of our time and effort on making sure it was not at the expense or compromised what we've worked so hard to build, what a high hazard industry, what an energy company or any sector holds as dear as unacceptable to compromise. So that's where we spent most of our time understanding how quality could be assured, how risk was managed, how our experts could engage in an even more powerful way. So it wasn't about convincing ourselves of something to do. It was about convincing ourselves that it was safe and correct to do for our company. Um, you know, some of the teams um, took this to heart. We would go from having the traditional to do, doing, done boards to to do, doing, verified, done. And people would have a absolutely clear step before we declared something was done that it was signed off from a quality perspective i think maybe two or three other things we spent time on uh prioritization and we still do 
Um, so it's one thing to say, here's my list of top 10. It's another to truly allocate and dedicate and focus resources. And I think that's uh, an ongoing area for us and I assert everybody to focus on. Uh, we put a lot of effort into, I hope this expression works, but workflows. We made that the kind of the currency or the building block of a lot of what we did. Made sure we had the right data, the right digital platforms. Made sure that we organized around workflows so we reduced handovers, so we had end-to-end -end organizations and end-to-end -end processes. And that fit very, very well with our agility agenda. Or put the other way, I would worry if we jump straight to agility without investing in some of those building blocks around workflows, around processes, around data, and around your organization. And I think one thing that um, has been quite exciting is it's changed our leadership interactions. And I could, again, there's with people from McKinsey on the call here, I won't get into uh, lecturing about leadership interactions, but maybe a quote to hang on to that somebody uh, made to me is, they said, I used to sit in my office and decisions would come to me when my calendar said it was time for that review or that decision. Now I go to the team in their environment and I solve problems and make decisions when they need to be solved. And I think it changed the dynamic around, I'm sat in my office, you'll all come to me in my comfort area with tons of pre-read, to I'll come to you on a regular basis and see what you need to succeed, having already set up and agreed the mission and allocated the resources. So I think we spent our time on not compromising what was deeply important to us as a company, on prioritization, on workflows. And I think we spent a lot of time and still are on a different type of leadership interaction. Yeah, I'm sure there are many, but could you share with us some of the lessons learned and what would you do differently if you're starting now? Right. Um, I think we learned that agility and the rest of our transformation agenda has brought us closer to our customers. And by customers, I include and specifically include our front lines, our refineries, our oil and gas platforms, our drilling rigs, our projects, because we became more focused on outcomes than organization. And I think that brings you closer um, to your front line, to your operations teams. I think we learned that pilots, if well-planned and executed, really work, and they're a really good way to begin and then build over time versus lots and lots of effort on one big program. We've been at this, as I said uh, earlier, for a number of years and will be uh, going forward. I do really believe we learned that agility is not standalone for all the reasons we mentioned before. Um, and differently, that's always a good question. Um, I think to begin with, we worried a little too much about the language and the theory of agility. So yes, it's important for some to know the difference between squads and units and discipline leads and Kanban and Scrum, et cetera. But I think we made it about that for a while. Uh, and there was a club and a language you knew or you didn't know. When actually, when we got more into outcomes, more into the experiences, more into the things we were trying to have our transformation deliver, I think that's when it really took off. Um, and to go back to something I said earlier, you know, I, I soon realized I could sit all day and tell people about agility and how good it was. And they'd have to tell my word for it. 
and I'd do a, probably a poor job uh, of explaining exactly what occurs when a team works in this way. Or we could take people to visit those teams. And that's what we did more and more. We created exemplars or case studies or pilots where other people could go visit and talk to the individuals and the teams working in that environment. And that's when I think our ambition really got cemented. When other people, when, when an engineer's peers were saying, how do you work like this? I want to be part of something like that. Or leaders were asking, I love this. How do I create this environment? So I think what we do differently is less time on language and theory, more time getting into the pilots and learning as we go. Um, and I think maybe, maybe another lesson would be the employee experience because we certainly moved safety in the environment and performance quicker than we did employee experience. I think just recognizing that although you might want quick wins, you might want this gratification that I'm on the right agenda, it does take a continued investment to truly change that employee experience within the company without losing the strengths you don't want to lose. So I think that if that helps, sorry if that was a long list, there'd be the lessons and, and what, I, what I think we'd do differently. And Ian, how has COVID-19 impacted the Agile journey? Um, well, you know, um, COVID-19 has obviously been a massive physical, mental health uh, impact, economic impact for the entire world. And our program obviously uh, fell into that um, same environment. So it's absolutely affected it. So I don't, I don't know. I think on, on one lens, um, Maybe we could say that teams that had invested in prioritization, in clarity of accountability of scope for that week, for that sprint, that were more connected to outcomes, where leaders were used to solving problems uh, in a different way, removing impediments and barriers. Maybe we could say they fared a bit better, but I think it's a little bit early for us to say that categorically, but I think maybe that's what my gut feel would be that those sound like basics, but those things that were in place more clearly because of the rigor of doing agility properly, I think probably helped. Um, it's clearly tested our thinking on co-location. We got a big buzz on rather than individuals sat at their desk creating physical collaboration spaces, putting a team in the same area with all the information up to around performance, around who was working on what, the daily stand-ups. That created a huge buzz for us as a way of working. Uh, rather than having drillers on one floor, analysts on another, subsurface on another, creating that, that small mission-based team. So, Doing that virtually has been okay, but we haven't yet, I don't think, created that same buzz as physical collaboration. So we're obviously now going to have to find a balance of how to do that. And I think sustaining a culture virtually has a ton of challenges. I'm sure you could have a whole different talk on, but I think there's some of the issues now around how in a more virtual world do you create that dynamism, that buzz, that clarity, that culture you're looking for, which I don't know, my own belief is it's agility would support that. Um, but I think we have got a lot to learn on exactly what that means as we go forward.
Oh, that's a huge mm. challenge. Yeah. Andrea, I understand that McKinsey has also done some research about how agile companies across industries have coped compared with non-agile companies. Could you share some of the highlights, please? Sure. Yeah, let's go very in line uh, with you. And, and the, the research shows that globally, uh, the organizations that came agile before, like came to agile before the, 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 the pandemic period, they were with better processes, better structure in a way that they can, flick, they, can, they can use the flexibility of those small multiple teams they have uh, in order to proper, proper prioritize the work they have to do and how they can react to that very fast. And uh, we have like local examples in the region here. We have a number of examples in the region. I'd like to bring one that I was part of, uh, the privilege to be part of this, uh, this client uh, work that they were on the transformation for several years now also. And in the beginning of the, the quarters two, they were planning for the quarter, preparing the all objectives for the, the corporation and also for the teams, like you cascade all the objectives through the hundreds of teams they have now. And uh, they had done that and two weeks later, they got locked down. I mean, the, then the pandemic came to South America, then the, the countries were closed and they had to rearrange the whole objectives they have. So the whole corporation was like, kind of this doesn't make any sense anymore. Uh, some of the products were like, no, no way to do this in remote. So they refreshed the whole uh, objectives for the corporation and could cascade it down to all the teams. We talk about hundreds of teams there. Uh, and it took only four days to do this. So they have spent one week most of the time uh, to make the, all the objectives now okay for the for the pandemic period for the every single team that now had a clear mission for what you do in the next three months so it's really really impressive how they reacted on this and christopher i have a question for you too we've heard bp's story and there has clearly have been a tremendous impact however it seems that b2b companies are less mature in agile adoption than some other industries why do you think this is I mean, I think it's certainly true um, that agility originated in software and then was taken up very actively in banking and telecommunication industries. Um, however, there really has been an increasing interest in more and more examples in heavy industries uh, over the past couple of years, of which, of course, BP is a, a truly great example. And when I talk to these um, industrial, these B2B type companies, there are some common misconceptions that really time and again come up. Um, so things like, you know, agile technology companies celebrating a fail fast approach, but in many B2B industries, failure isn't an option. Uh, and in many, uh, for many decisions and activities that they have to, to take. And similarly, the agile manifesto uh, emphasizes individuals and interactions over processes and tools and responding to change over following a plan. And I think sometimes phrases and words like this can uh, you know, really not go down well, um, taken at face value um, with B2B companies where processes and planning are undoubtedly essential, especially if lives and capital investments, or major capital investments are at stake. Um, but what I often say to these guys is that these uh, truly are misconceptions. And you know, for example, um, agility celebrates learning not failure. So the agile mindset involves a constant desire to learn and become more effective. And so in software development, that may well be uh, summarized in the catchy fail fast phrase. 
But uh, in asset-heavy industries or B2B, it might be better articulated as learning fast. So how can these organizations design ways of working that raise productivity in every shift, in every rotation, um, or to lower development costs on every project? That's, that's the kind of way you should think about that. And then second misconception, agility is absolutely not a free form. Agile ways of working, whether that's Scrum or other Agile methods, are highly structured and they promote uh, greater speed through precisely having clearly defined transparent uh, processes and day-to-day -day working practices. And then finally, a final third misconception, agility absolutely does not mean not having a plan. Agile ways of working promote clear identification, and Ian mentioned it a few times, much um, forcing prioritization and decisions up front, and that's often called a black backlog. And that is driven through a clear rhythm, sometimes called uh, sprints. Um, agile organizations, however, acknowledge that conditions and needs often will evolve, and therefore designs plans that are adaptable and they're more able to change so that they can deliver better outcomes. So I don't think there's any fundamental reason why B2B companies shouldn't be uh, excited and interested by agility. Um, and, and I think we're just uh, at the outset of the curve and we're going to see a real uptake and uh, an adoption over the coming years. And Andrea, uh, finally, uh, how long does it typically take to implement an agile program? Well, that is... That they is vary a, a lot. Very different. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very different, difficult question to answer. Uh, we depend, we will depend a lot. I mean, it depends on the scale of the organization, depend on uh, how, we, what are the areas we want to talk about, depends on uh, the, the ambitions of the organization is very important here because they want to really ch want to change, they need to change, right? They have a platform there. And also the top team alignment on this. I mean, the top team must be uh, very clear about what they want out of this transformation before every, every move. Right, and uh, so it's, it's different. Like you can talk about pilots; that is a matter of weeks. Then you can get some uh, some uh, pilots set and running, up and running. But for a real transformation for the enterprise agility way, like the setting the organization for agility, like the, that's the example that we have here in EBP or, or any others, uh, it's very clear that they can take several years. I mean, to really transform the whole organization, the way of working. So thank you, Andrea, Christopher, and Ian for this conversation. But now I'm going to go to address the questions from the audience. We have a few here. So the first one is for Christopher. Christopher, can agility help in mitigating risks? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think, um, I think first and foremost, uh, you need to make sure that you're going to maintain safety and risk management through any change you make, you know, whether that's related to agility or otherwise. But I would indeed absolutely go further. And I think Ian alluded to this, right? I, I think um, ag agility agile operating models have potential and, and we've started to prove a, a real uh, ability to actually get better management of risk and to, to, make, uh, to make work safer. And why is that? So I, I think, you know, partly it's because risk oftentimes manifests at interfaces. So when one team hands off on a workflow to another team and there's maybe misunderstanding or in, in 
perfect communication exchange. And so in an agile team, when you bring together people from different functions, from different disciplines into the same team, the people needed to get the work done, there were fewer interfaces. And as a consequence, uh, there's, there's less opportunity for some of those risks to emerge. And then maybe our, a second point, a second reason why uh, risk management may improve is around transparency. I mean, one of the real core um, principles that comes through in almost all agile ways of working and tools is about making work transparent. What is it I'm committing to do? What am I working on? What have I done? And through making work transparent in real time, rather than just in the sprint review or in a, a stage gate review, uh, risks also become much more apparent to everybody. And when risks are apparent, they can be addressed and mitigated. In uh, Ian, a question for you. How BP sees and manages risk in a dry operating model? Yeah, I think it's uh, built on what Christopher said. I mean, Agile does not throw away your existing processes, systems, safeguards, authorities, technical sign-off. And I actually think the transparency point Christopher made is really key. I think agility as a way of working can really prom promote an openness and a trust. So rather than having to go in and fight something, it really puts the emphasis on the team to call in the expertise and the support as, the, as they need it. So I think like anything done badly, you have an issue done well. I think there's no reason agility cannot support your ambitions. And to be clear, we at BP wouldn't be doing it if we thought we had some issues in that space. We think it absolutely will help us achieve our ambitions on personal safety, on process safety, and on environmental and on risk. Um, mainly, I mean, partly or mainly due to the, or the engagement and alignment of the organization on a particular challenge or issue that agility lets you have. So I think Christopher covered it well, and I think that transparency point and the rigor, the systematic nature of things is important. We did not throw away our management systems and ways of working in BP from a technical sign-off and quality. You all know we wouldn't do that. We actually reinforced them as part of going agile. Sure, sure. Christopher, another question. How to build the buy-in of the team to change their mindsets? Ah, great question. I mean, and maybe actually answering this, I'd make a distinction between top leaders and then the, the front line. So actually maybe the team itself. And on the latter, in my experience, there's actually rarely a challenge um, when it comes to the front line, when they're asked to work in an agile team. Uh, quite the contrary. I mean, what we find is that the clarity on mission, um, having people provided the, with the resources, you know, the people and the, the tools to required to execute that mission, and then empowered to go and do that, it's just a great unlock and it transforms the work experience for the team members. So they actually really lap this up. And then like Ian's saying, you know, that's correct because people hear that message and they, they, um, you know, they, they increasingly want to work in these ways. With leaders, I think though, on uh, the other hand, there is a very substantial mindset shift required to success. Uh, for many years, organizations have seen leaders as planners, directors, controllers. Um, and, and that whole paradigm needs to really change in an agile organization. A leader becomes much more of a, a visionary, an architect, a coach or a catalyst. 
and uh, and real work needs to be done to achieve that mindset shift. It's far from easy. It takes time and sustained effort. So I mean, I think first it's very important that leaders understand why we're doing this. So why are we asking them to change their mindsets? What is the vision for the new agile organization? Um, then leaders need to see that mindset in action. Um, Ian mentioned many times you know, the power of actually going and seeing a team or going and seeing another organization that is further along his agile journey and talking to leaders in that organization. And then thirdly, I, I think it's quite likely that some of those leaders are going to need help building the capabilities, building some of that muscle they're going to need to be effective in an in, in a agile organization. And that's where things like uh, the leadership programs that Ian also referred to um, come in uh, in importance. And then finally, um, you know, these mindsets need to be the, the system around the leaders needs to be often changed to reinforce the behaviors and mindsets that you want. So everything from how you select leaders into roles through to how you uh, evaluate their performance and then reward leaders needs to be designed in such a way to reinforce the mindset and behaviors that you're looking for. Sure. Uh, Christopher, that's a good question here. See, uh, what's the main difference between lean and agile? I mean, it's, uh, it's another great question. I might sort of call on Ian to also chip in on this one. But uh, and I, I think the, the the first thing I would say is that, you know, I, I, I hear very often um, lean, agile, do I need to choose between the two? What's the real difference between the two? And I come at it from a different place. I, I would say lean and agility both have an enormous amount in common, especially when it comes to the principles that underpin both of those concepts. Um, so you know, to actually suggest that there needs to be a choice as opposed to them complementing one another is uh, perhaps almost a misunderstanding of, of both lean management and agile operating systems. I mean, Ian, I know you've been on this journey, so maybe, maybe you want to add something. No, I will. And I think you're, you're right, Christopher. And I think it's important to remember lean, lean has been around for a very long time. And there's a cadre of people who are absolutely attached to lean. And then there's a cadre of people who are absolutely attached to agile. When actually many of them have a lot of similarities. Um, so what we've tried to do is actually bring them together. So again, with the customer in mind that you know, if there's a problem, an engineer or a geoscientist, they shouldn't have to scratch their heads and go, hang on, is this agile technique? Is this a lean technique? We need to create the organization within our companies that says, don't worry about that. Whatever's the right technique and method will help you with it, will train you on it, you'll use it. So we deliberately combined or blurred the difference between agile techniques and lean techniques so we could actually get the best of both worlds. And then we lifted up and out of those the key principles and philosophies and leadership traits that would make either succeed. So I think we could debate forever the difference between lean and agile. It was more, I've got a team of people trying to make the biggest difference they can and solve a problem. What's the right technique? What's the right tool? And in some cases, it's a choice. In some cases, one technique will work better than another, but we have we've tried to not answer that question by taking the best of both worlds, yeah. which from a principles and a fundamentals are exceptionally similar. 
Ian, uh, do you expect that after COVID-19 being agile brings you more benefits than before? I don't know if it brings more benefits, but I think it's an advantage to be on this journey. I think as we mentioned before, the rigor of understanding what resources you need for what problem you're trying to solve. If I'm sat virtually here today in a house in some part of England and you're in Brazil and Christopher's in another part of England, the more we connected we are on a mission, the more we're used to standing up each day and checking in, making requests to each other must help. So I don't, I don't know if I've really answered your question, but I'm glad we're on the journey of embedding agility and that the benefits it brings because virtually it must help be my view uh, but there's a lot of work to do to get virtual we are a big fan of virtual working i think it's leapfrogged our thinking we were a big fan of co-location and for some activities when the situation arises that we can do that we will but i think it's really disturbed our thinking around the power of virtual working particularly in a global company like bp where we can let better leverage our talent in all areas of the globe so I don't really know if I've answered your question, but mm -hmm. I'm glad we're on an agility journey as we cope with yeah. COVID, um, but lots of work to do. Oh, thank you very much, Ian, Christopher. Obrigada, André. It was a great conversation. I learned a lot. Thank you very much for being here today with us. Muito obrigada. A você também, muito obrigada por passar com a gente esses últimos é, 45 minutos. Obrigada a todo mundo que mandou pergunta para a gente. Para conhecer a agenda completa do McKinsey Talks, visite mckinseytalks.com. Lá vocês encontram os programas anteriores e esse de hoje vai estar disponível também na segunda-feira. E para quem gosta de podcast, quem gosta de ouvir áudio, essas nossas, esses nossos encontros também vão para o Spotify. Até a próxima, um ótimo fim de semana. Have a great weekend, guys. Thank you, obrigada. Tchau, tchau.